Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy! Before we start going into the Word, I was just going to tell you a story. I think the story is more to calm my nerves than anything else, but I will tell you a story. <laughs> um, and I do this, if you're from Ex-Edinburgh, you've heard me preach a million times, and I always start with the story because uh, <laughs> I think I get calmer <laughs> with the story. But I'm taking you back to... Um, uh, 10 years ago, uh, which is 2011, presumably, 10 years ago, <laughs> when I was 15. And I used to be, oh, I'm a bit of a nerd and a bit of like a geeky, lame kid, if you hear this. But essentially, I was in my church, uh, and I just moved to Penang. And I was in my church, and you know, it was very vibrant youth and campus group. And in, in, in that time, I... I <laughs> Wanted, I thought I was a pretty good leader, la, okay, that's the, that's the honest truth. I was like, oh, look at me, I'm a, I'm a really good leader. Uh, but there was like a lot of other leaders as well, and I was like, oh, I really want to prove myself. And then I thought, thought I had a lot of validation because we had a youth camp at the end of the year. And it's always this really big youth camp and loads of people come. And suddenly I was like, wow, they asked me to be a leader of the group. Oh, so lame, right? I'm telling you this story, and I'm like so embarrassed at how much validation I got from this. But they asked me to be uh, one of the leaders in the in the youth camp thing, and I was so excited, and I was like, yes, they all see my leadership potential, and <laughs> so I prepared so hard for this camp, okay, I like, worked really hard, I remember there was even like a name tag making competition, and, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not creative at all, I have lit- literally zero creativity, um, but you know, I really plugged in and I was like, wow, what is the theme of the camp? And it had something to do with identity, and I made this mask-looking thing, and I was like, one side the glitter was purple, the other side was pink, and like, it was all creative, and we won the name tag making competition. Thank you, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I was so proud, okay? And then we turned up at camp. And it was, uh, I had a group of 10 people, and a lot of them were very quiet, and a lot of them were very new. And I was like, these people, you know, they don't let me prove my leadership potential. They've given me the quiet ones. What about the rara loud ones that will make me look cool? You know, so weird, right? So lame. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I led this team, and I was really, like, really stressed because they were really quiet, and I really wanted to win all the games. I know that's not the point of the camp, but <laughs> it was the point of my experience at camp. And also... <laughs> And I really wanted to win all the games. So what I did was like, I was thinking like, oh, how, how can I get all these quiet people talking? I am quite loud, but even my loudness could not compensate for their quietness. So, I, which those of you who know me knows it's saying a lot. <laughs> so what I decided to do, we were playing this one game. I can't remember like what the game actually was, but I remember there was this massive hill. Um, and the game was um, something to do with like taking water from a bucket at the bottom end of the hill and then this really high hill and then the team is all standing up. So you had to run down, take water out of a bucket and then I guess run up and not pour the water or something and then just collect the most amount of water essentially. All I remember is this hill was massive, right? It was a really long hill. And then this was the first game and my team was, you know, just... (laughs) (laughs) It was tough, it was tough. Um, But I, I was like, okay, how can I like, get the spirit going, you know, in this team. So what I did, um, I'm not that athletic, but I, would, I, I saw this hill and I was like, right, let's do this. I don't know what came upon me and I did it. So at the top of the hill, uh, we had about 10 or 11 players and we were falling behind and I was like, oh, what do I do now? So I decided 
that I should run down and up this hill about 10 times, following my teammates, right, to cheer them on. So we started... <laughs> I was out of breath Like I was so tired Anyway I remember standing at the top And being like Right Oh my goodness You can do this And then they get the water And I'm not being helpful at all Right Essentially I'm just shouting at them And there's more pressure But anyway I decided to run up the hill Back with them You can do this You can do this And then reach to the top And I did this again And again And again For 10 times um, <laughs> Don't know whether That makes me a good leader Or a pretty silly one But one of the above The team spirit was rising and everybody was like, wow, I think they were more laughing at me. But, but it got the energy going and my team suddenly clicked and everyone was like laughing and happy and I was like, look at me, what a fantastic leader. <laughs> I, I, I promised myself when I started preaching that I'll always be honest on stage and that was honestly the thing I was thinking. I thought, wow, look at me, I am a great leader, the team spirit's alive. We played every other game and I can remember most of the games. Uh, we played this live Cluedo session, we played all these things and we won almost every game. Um, and I remember at the uh, one of the, uh, you know, the third night of camp, like the, the speaker came up and she was like, I saw this really crazy one running up and down the hill from my hotel room. And you know, <laughs> I think that's embarrassing now. But back then I was like, yeah, even the camp speaker noticed me. <laughs> and I know that's super, super embarrassing, but anyway. Um, so... <laughs> um, yeah, so then we won all the games and like all my friends were like, how is she doing this? And I was like, right, you know, I'm going to be promoted to youth leader after this. Oh my goodness. Um, anyway, anyway, comes to the last day of camp and the camp speaker is about to leave. We're all standing outside this hotel. It was about 100 people. And, you know, this camp was amazing. My best friend gave her life to Christ. Like some of my, uh, some of my other friends also gave their life to Christ. And, you know, it was an amazing experience. And obviously, obviously I was very happy. Um, and then we were standing outside the camp and it was this big group of hundred or so people standing um, at, uh, at the door kind of saying bye to the camp speaker. I think her transport arrived before we were about to leave. And someone at the, from the back said, oh, Rachel, uh, I think the camp speaker left her hat or scarf or something. And um, she was like, oh, can you go and run and pass it to her? So there's a hundred, you just have to imagine it, okay? There's a hundred people standing and everybody's like, bye! Um, and then I was like, oh, I need to run down that hill again um, to pass this um, camp speaker her cap because she shouldn't go home without her cap. And so, <laughs> so I run out of this crowd of a hundred people. I'm like, oh, I think her name was Annette. Annette, if you're watching this, hello and thank you. <laughs> Um, and she, I ran down um, this hill. I'm like, oh, I guess Annette, Annette, um, uh, yeah, you forget your hat. And she turns around, and it's just her and someone else. She turns around, and she's like, oh, thank you. And then she puts her hand on me, and in front of, in front of 100 people, she says, by the way, don't just be a Martha, be a Mary. And then she smiles, and then she walks away. And I think in that moment... <laughs> a lot of my pride about myself <laughs> shattered. And I'll tell you what else, <laughs> I'll tell you what my thoughts are about the situation after. I, I feel like you can imagine it, but I also feel like you can imagine what portion of scripture I'm going to lead us into <laughs> at the moment. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, right. verse 38 to 42. That's good. Amen. I'll read it to you, uh, 38 to 42. Now it happened as they went and he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed, her, welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. This story is amazingly concise. It's just a few verses, but it is packed with punch. And I know some of you will be like, oh, I've heard about Martha and Mary a thousand times. But, but sit with me, bear with me, and we'll go through this story, okay? So to fully grasp the significance of this story, you need to understand the culture in which this story was written. In that time, women were very much segregated from men. Uh, they were segregated from public appearances in the private, and their role was expected to serve, clean, take care of the children, um, I feel like those are the main things and things around that, as you can imagine. But women essentially did not, did not have much of a standing in society. So when you read this story, you have to try to imagine it again. So I, need, you know, I like to tell stories. So imagine this story in a time where women were not acknowledged and they were insignificant, essentially. All they were meant to do was serve, cook, clean, take care of the kids and keep quiet. Okay? So if you re imagine this story again with that in mind... So it's Martha, and Martha is mentioned here just as Martha. A lot of the times in the Bible, most women are described as the daughter of Jairus or somebody's wife or somebody's daughter. Um, and, you know, it's always Rachel, the daughter of George, you know, um, who's my dad, obviously. <laughs> um, and it's never just um, Rachel. But Martha, in this portion of scripture, and all the scriptures that she's mentioned, is always just described as Martha. She's never mentioned to be the daughter or the husband or, no, no, not the daughter or the wife of someone else. She's always just called by name. Um, and that's quite significant considering she is a woman in that time. Um, and Jesus' approach to women in his time was revolutionary. It was completely different from other, other rabbis and teachers at that time. Rabbis used to consider teaching women a complete waste of time. Um, and, you know, that would not fly in these days and ages. And we know that. But, and it's easy to believe that because we li live in this time. But back then, Martha teaching, going into Martha and Mary's house to teach was not what a rabbi or a teacher would do, okay? And so Martha welcomes Jesus into her home, and it says she opened her home, and normally, you know, it would be the husband's home that is open, so it implies that either, you know, Martha is the head of the household. Whatever that means, she's the head of the household, and she opened her house to Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus and his disciples comes in, and Martha, you know, is being the, you know, the ideal woman in that time. She's serving, and she's cooking, and doing all those things, and making up a big feast, as we can imagine. And Mary, we read, is sat at Jesus' feet. A lot of scholars think that Mary ended up at, because if you have it was counterculture to be teaching women. So the question is, if there were a group of men sitting around Jesus, how did Mary suddenly, like, swerve her way in, you know, like, slide into your DMs kind of thing? Like, you know, how did she slide into that crowd and sit by Jesus' feet? People, a lot of scholars think that Mary was washing the feet of Jesus as you would welcome a guest, a very important guest into the house. And while she was washing the feet of Jesus, she heard the teaching and she chose to sit there while she was serving and take in everything that he was saying. So that's probably how Mary ended up in that crowd. So Jesus was teaching, and Martha, you know, is cooking and is cleaning and doing all her things, and she kind of knows that Jesus is there, obviously, because she welcomed Jesus into the house. 
And, um, and Martha then sees, oh, look at Mary, what is she doing? Da, da, da. She, why is she just sitting there? What are, oh, so lazy. And then she was like, you know what? I'm so upset about this thing. And then she goes up to Jesus and she, uh, and she marches into the, congregate, to the group of people and says, Jesus, what is my, can't you see that Mary is not helping me? Can you please go and tell her to help me? And you have to imagine that context in those times. This is a group of men watching Martha come and tell the VIP guests, like if one of you comes up right now and said, Rachel, can you not see that, uh, I can't, don't want to name names, somebody is being lazy and not helping me. That's as, as dramatic as that. And what would all your reaction be if someone stood up right now and comes and says, Rachel, this person is distracted and not helping me. You would all gasp with shock. And in that, even more so in that time, this was now a woman who was coming to Jesus and saying, hey, are you not paying attention to the fact that she is dist- like not helping me? Um, and you know, you can only imagine what the crowd of men there sitting would have been like. They were probably gasping in shock and thinking, "Who is this woman? Who does she think she is? How can a woman be disrupting my converse- uh, our teaching with Jesus?" But what does Jesus do? He turns around and says. Martha, Martha, calls her by name, which is not common in that culture for men to address women by name and acknowledge them. But she, he also speaks to her with a tender heart and corrects her in that time. Doesn't condemn her, but corrects her. My first point today is our God is such a personal God. And even more so, you have to just plug in with me and imagine in that time for a woman to encounter God like that, for God to say, Oh, my title, sorry, my title today. <laughs> I, just, I just realized I gave you the first point without telling you the title. My title is In His Presence, okay? To the point we encounter a personal God. Martha, you know, for her to encounter God like that as a woman, uh, and Mary as well, Jesus didn't say to Mary, okay, you've washed my feet, please leave. He let her sit down and listen. And the sat, you know, Mary sitting at the seat of Jesus was a seat that was reserved for um, teaching, for rabbis who are teaching. Um, and so Jesus taught women and treated them with as much respect as men, but called Martha by name. In some of the versions, it says, My dear Martha. And he was so tender and so loving hearted, even while he was correcting and directing her in the right direction. Just going to nerd out with you um, <laughs> for five seconds. But Jesus wasn't just um, revolutionary in his approach to women. He was also very revolutionary in his approach to children. In those times, children had no value more than a slave. Um, And there's a pediatrics professor in America called, uh, I guess, Dr. Offit, probably, if he's a professor. Essentially, he's a pediatrician who works with children. And in 1991, there's this huge measles outbreak. um, And it was predominantly caused by two Christian... um, It was called the church back then, but I guess, in a way, it is a is a cult, and they didn't want to vaccinate their children with the MMR vaccine because they believed that the Lord would heal. And we believe that the Lord will heal, but we also get vaccinated for MMR and also COVID. Um, <laughs> get your vaccines if you've not got your vaccines yet. Um, my professional medical advice <laughs> is to get your vaccine. Um, but, <laughs> but Jesus, um, uh, this, this professor, sorry, he was, he was very upset. He's not a believer. He wasn't a believer, and he was very upset about the fact religion is causing children to die, and he thought that the government should not let that happen. Parents should not be allowed to put their children at risk. And many children died, but even more so, many children were very ill with this 
with measles in 1991 in this outbreak. So he decided that he was going to try to find a way to sue um, these parents, but he would also have to want to find out why religion would allow this, why somebody like Jesus, why a religion would allow parents to not vaccinate their children and cause all this precious life to go to harm. While he was doing his research, he came to the very complete opposite, and it's written very nicely in a book called Bad Medicine. If bad Bad Faith, Bad Faith by Paul Offit. And essentially, at the end of it, he, he's, um, his finding was that um, Christianity is the single greatest breakthrough against child abuse in history. And essentially, if you look through the scriptures, it begins in, in Matthew. It begins about when King Herod kills all the young baby boys, and that, it, that event was called the Massacre of the Innocent, so when they killed young, uh, young children, essentially. And even more, there's a lot in history that is not written in the Bible directly, but baby girls uh, were, also, were also killed, not in the same kind of time, but, you know, time, like an overarching time. Um, but Jesus was so revolutionary. What did Jesus do? He took a child and put it in front of his disciples and said, until you become like this child... Um, you know, you have no place in my kingdom, essentially. And Jesus acknowledged children. Um, Jesus, um, Jesus, when everybody else thought children were nothing more than slaves, Jesus acknowledged them. And you should read this book. It's a fantastic writing, easy to read, but very beautifully written as Christ being the biggest, greatest breakthrough in child abuse in all time. So Jesus was such a personal God. Children now have value. It would be shocking to any of you if I told you, oh yeah, we can just kill children freely, obviously. But a lot of that breakthrough happened in the time of Jesus because Jesus acknowledged children and said, come to me, even the little children. Yeah. And so in the same way, Jesus also acknowledged women when no one else would and he was so personal with them. All the men in the room, he continues to acknowledge you as well. He calls you and knows you by name. Um, so he's such a personal God. Amen? Um, and sorry, thanks for listening to my nerding out moment. <laughs> um, but um, so back to this story. Jesus tenderly calls her Martha, Martha. If you know the story, you've been, been in church for a while, you would have heard that Martha gets a terrible reputation. Um, just Google, which is why I was so offended, by the way, <laughs> when, that, when that camp speaker said, don't be a Martha. I was like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> um, it, so if you just simply Google right now, no, well, don't Google right now, but if you did Google right now, a message about Martha and Mary, Martha always gets a terrible rap. She threw a temper tantrum. She was so rude. How can you be distracted by serving when Jesus is sitting in your house? But I want us to look a little bit at Martha and where else she appears in the scripture and maybe have a change, fresh perspective about Martha, just a little bit. It's not a personal agenda to you know, vindicate Martha in this situation. But you know, so the next time you see Martha when you flip through the Gospels is in the book of John. And she appears in the book of John 11. And that's where her brother Lazarus, who died, was risen from the dead. Um, so it says in the beginning that Lazarus, the, the context is Lazarus, Martha, and Mary are siblings, and they are the siblings that live in Bethany. So Martha, you know, just from even the first story, we can tell that Martha is tenacious, she's loud, she, is, she knows what she wants, uh, and she, Mary, on the underhand, is humble, gentle, meek, quiet, um, and... I'm completely not those things, <laughs> and I'm very much like Martha, and I used to really, really want to be like Mary. I'm like, oh, I need to be gentle, I need to be quiet. 
Um, but if you live with me, my flatmate who's watching, and one of my flatmates is here as well, you, you would know I am not quiet. I am very, very, very loud at all times. <laughs> And I always, you know, I always found this, um, oh, only Mary can go into the Lord's kingdom. Only Mary is vindicated. I should be quiet and gentle. But Martha is just completely herself. She is loud. She is um, tenacious. She knows she's a strong, independent woman. She knows exactly what she wants. And in this story of Lazarus uh, in John uh, 11, if you have your Bibles there, we'll turn to John 11 as well. Um, so the, I guess the beginning of the context is it says that Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Jesus hears, he's far away, and he hears that Lazarus has died. And he says, okay, uh, I'll stay on another two days, and I'll go and see Lazarus. And let's read John 7, uh, 11, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, Martha, believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the, G- the Jews who were with her in her house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Amen? So we see two different approaches to Jesus. Martha being the tenacious woman that she is, she, when she, even she, Jesus wasn't even there yet. Yeah, she ran to Jesus. She's like, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. But I know that whatever you ask for and say, it will still happen because it is you. You are the Lord and the Messiah. And then, you know, they have this conversation back and forth about rising Lazarus from the dead. And Martha, because she ran and went out there, was the person who got to say, got to hear the words, um, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, she was the one, it wasn't in the house where everybody else was. It's because Martha went out to Jesus. And this, I am the resurrection and the life. We sing songs about it, but it's the fundamental truth of who Jesus is. I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha gets a terrible rep for, even, you know, in the first story, when she goes and interrupts the crowd, you know, she goes out of her way and goes to Jesus and interrupts him. But I think actually Martha knew exactly who she could go to and she knew exactly who could solve her problems. Even in that first story, 
you know, people say, how can Martha interrupt the teaching? How can she do that? You know, who does she think she is? But actually, instead of gossiping to her girlfriends about how terrible Mary is as a sister, instead of doing that, instead of keeping it all in, she had a relationship with Jesus that she just went to the only person who is worth going to because only Jesus, she thought only Jesus could make Mary come to clean the house. <laughs> but in this story, when she heard Jesus, she ran to him because he is the only person who could have done anything about it. Whether it was to be resurrecting Lazarus or whether it was to comfort her because she has now lost her brother, instead of just staying in the people who were sitting down and comforting her, she ran to the only person who she knew could give her that comfort. And many times Mary gets, uh, Martha sorry, gets condemned for the posture that she was carrying in her relationship with Jesus. But I think even if I was a little bit more like Martha, you know, she might not have had the... We'll come back to why Jesus said Mary has chosen the right thing. But Martha is not all that bad. Martha had the right posture, different from her sister, but she also had a right posture and a right relationship. And we see that progressing even in John 11, in, in Luke, in that, that original uh, scripture that we read. She tells Jesus what to do, which I've never heard anybody tell Jesus what to do. But I tell Jesus what to do all the time. In my prayer, I'm like, right, you know, ideally this will be the pathway. Thank you very much. Um, but, but Martha tells Jesus, tell Mary to come and, I don't know, clean or don't be distracted, essentially. But in this portion of scripture, you kind of see her grow a little bit. I don't know whether you see that. Instead of telling Jesus, right, you come and raise him from the dead right now. Or how can you not have been there? If no, he would have been alive. Instead of complaining, what is her attitude at the end? She's changed a little bit. She's progressed a little bit from the chapter in Luke 10. She says, I believe that, you know, because of who you are, he will still live yeah. in, you know, and then obviously Jesus spoke to her about different things. The next time you see Mary and Martha is in a scripture in John 12, and we'll read this really quickly. It should be on the screen. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had, where Lazarus was who had been dead, which is a brother, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Amen? Yeah. Here we see the beautiful posture of Mary again serving by washing Jesus' feet as he comes and anointing him with the most expensive oil. And Jesus, again, says, leave her alone. I mean, we all know what happened to Judas in the end. <laughs> but at that time, I guess they didn't have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, but Jesus says, leave her alone. She is anointing me, the poor. You will have with you always, but me you have right now in, in this room, in that room. Um, and Mary, you know, has this beautiful posture that we also desire. We also desire to be those, that person who just sits as Jesus' feet, gets to use the most expensive oil. But there's a subtle thing about Martha in this story as well. In this story, it says, Martha served and Mary did the washing feet of. And she was in the exact same posture she was in that story in Luke 10. Mary was found by Jesus' feet. Same story. Martha was serving. But what's the difference? Martha, didn't, this time, didn't come out and say, Hey, Jesus, 
don't call Jesus A. But <laughs> for my illustration purposes only, sorry. Hey, um, <laughs> Jesus, why, why are you letting her sit here again? Why not my turn or something? Why not ask her to come and serve? This time, Martha embraced the situation. And there's a subtle difference in Martha if you see her progress, right? She, I think she's caught the heart a little bit of what Jesus told her. Your sister Mary has chosen the good thing. Um, and we'll come back to what that is. But Martha, you see her evolve. The second time she says in that, uh, that story in John 11 of Lazarus, she says, I believe, instead of telling Jesus what to do, she says, well, actually, I believe in you and I know whatever you say will happen. And then at the end, she just serves and there's no retaliation, there is no drama, they just serve together. I think Martha had a changed perspective of her relationship with Jesus and what it meant to serve and be in his presence. And I hope we also have a fresh perspective of this story. I don't think Martha and Mary, one was better than the other. I don't think your dream and aspiration should be, be Martha, oh no. Be Mary instead of Martha. Be Martha instead of Mary. I don't think that should be our goal, listening to this story. But I think it's a beautiful picture of how we're just all human and this is just reality, yeah? It is a reality of how we relate to God. We want to relate to God with like Mar Mary, but many times we relate to God like Martha. Many of us have been distracted. Many of us have not, um, you know, when Jesus was there, we were kind of somewhere else in our mind, the way Martha was. But this is the reality of being a believer. It's the reality of walking with the Lord. You have your Martha moments, you have your Mary moments, but that, does that mean one of you were better than the other? No, because Martha had a beautiful posture in a relationship with Jesus. And also, she was humble enough to learn from her baby sis Mary. Throughout this perspective, you see her learn and mold and shape. You know, whenever you come to church, there's sometimes, I guess, when I was younger especially, felt an expectation to be perfect. So it felt an expectation that there is no time in my life that I can be wrong, I can be uh, distracted, I can be lazy. Um, but in this story, you see just a simple picture of what it means to just live out your life with Christ. It's just normal, it's just chill. Like you don't have to be Mary or Martha, you just be you and walk and you learn. When you see someone like Mary who you're inspired by, then humble yourself and learn those things. But Martha was still very much Martha. She didn't stop serving and cooking and baking and all those things. She just learned how to do that while embracing his presence in the room. Amen? So my point for that is being having a changed perspective. In his presence, we encounter God and our perspective changes. Um, you know, we were, uh, some of us were having dinner yesterday and we were talking about how if in the Bible all the flawed characters were taken out of the story, the only book we will probably have is Revelation. That's not very exciting. <laughs> That's not a very exciting Bible, is it? I mean, it's still amazing. Revelation is amazing. But if you took out every flawed character, we couldn't even start the Bible because even in the first three chapters, there is a very evident flawed character. But the reason why we have the Bible and why the Bible is so precious, and Pastor Dave listened to, sorry, can I, the podcast that you, yeah. Pastor Dave was listening to this podcast, right? Uh, and obviously I can't describe it as well as Pastor Dave did because he listened to it. But essentially, he was saying how, you know, when, the, when you read the Bible for the first few times, you kind of have this pride in your spirit, like, oh, look at me, I'm better than uh, Martha. Oh, how can Martha not have noticed that Jesus was there? How can she have been focused on any other thing? But the... As you read it more and more and more, you notice what actually these characters in the Bible is a reflection of my own life, yeah. a reflection of my weaknesses, yeah. 
my Marthanus, uh, King David, was not known for his perfection. He was known for his desire to pursue God and be in his presence. Amen? Um, so a changed perspective, and I hope that you, know, you don't desire to just be Martha or uh, just be Mary, although Mary has a precious heart we all seek, and there is something that we can learn from Mary, which is my next point. Before I go into that, um, I'll take you back to the story that I started with. And remember when she told me, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. I was like, oh, that was my reaction. I was triggered. <laughs> um, I was like, who do you think you are, woman? Like, how can you tell me this? I am, I was an amazing leader. Um, <laughs> um, you know, um, <laughs> I still think it's so geeky that I was so excited about being a church camp leader, but anyway. Um, and over the years, you know, what she said to me that day has probably changed my relationship with the Lord forever. And I remember going home that day thinking about it. You remember how I started the story and told you what the game was? I can remember the game. I can remember the live Cluedo. I can remember, I can even remember the color of the glitter on that name tag, right? And it was a fantastic camp. I had a great time. My best friend came to the Lord. A lot of other people came to the Lord. But for the life of me, I cannot remember anything that was spoken about by the preacher in the camp. Cannot. For the life of me, I, I, those of you who know me know I have a fantastic memory. My flatmates say, do not fight with me because I can recall the smallest detail that I'm very, very dangerous <laughs> if you want to fight with me. <laughs> and I can remember really small things in detail. But for the life of me, I cannot remember at all what the preacher said at the camp. I was uh, playing the piano and I was serving. I can even remember conversations that were had before we preached, uh, before we uh, served in the worship team. I can remember even those small conversations, but I cannot, cannot remember anything the speaker said except don't be a Martha, be a Mary. The reason that that really, really challenged me that day was because I was trying to prove her wrong, to prove that I was Mary. But actually, <laughs> I realized that, you know, I had so much fun and everything, I, be I believe everything that I did and serving and all this, having fun and bringing life into the group, I believe that all those things were good. But I lost sight of the one most important thing and was being in his presence. And now I think many of you will think, you know, a lot of you would have heard messages before, oh yeah, of course I know, I need to sit in his presence, I know that. Um, and we all know this. But I think, you know, if we go back to that first story of where Mary and Martha were there, you know, um, in the NKJV version, you know, the heading before the, the scripture, um, it's not, you know, that was not in the original text, but I thought the heading was quite quite interesting. It wasn't like Martha versus Mary. It wasn't like be a Mary, not a Martha. It says Mary and Martha worship and serve together. Just very casual reality of our lives. We worship and we, all of us here, we worship and we serve together. It was not that Mar Mar Mary, I'm confusing their names, Mary and Martha. <laughs> it was not that they were not in Jesus's presence. They were. Jesus was literally in their home, right? So Jesus was actually literally in their, they were actually literally in the presence of Jesus. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, I think, is a symbolism of her focus on Jesus. If you look at the difference between, it's not, I don't think the message of this scripture is, please always just sit at Jesus' feet. Yeah. Uh, because 
as a symbolism, yes, sit at Jesus' feet, but it doesn't always have to literally mean <laughs> sit at Jesus' feet. Because if you all sat at Jesus' feet, then who's going, to, <laughs> who's going to set up the mic? Who's going to play the piano? Who's going to do anything like, you know? Uh, I always joke with my family back home, most of you know Jamie, who's from ex Edinburgh, who's on our core team, and she is the Martha of the house, and I'm the Mary of the house. That equates to responsible and lazy, essentially. Uh, <laughs> and Jamie is a fantastic cook, and whenever guests come, right, I <laughs> so funny. I always use it as an excuse to be a Mary. I'm like, AJ, I always call her while she's cooking. I'm like, hey, Mata, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's so bad, right? But when I was, <laughs> and I'm like, look at me, I'm being Mary now. I'm no longer Martha. I will sit there and talk and laugh, ha, ha, ha. And then I will swiftly walk into my bed when it's all done, whereas my poor dearest flatmate will be washing and cleaning. And I'm like, girl, you're Martha. <laughs> I'm Mary. Um, but actually, actually, without Jamie, without Martha, the food wouldn't be on the table. I would be sitting there and then expecting something to, I don't know, fall out of the sky. I don't know what I would be expecting food to happen. How is the house going to... I'm sorry, my love. I will help you clean. Uh, I am convicted after this story. Um, <laughs> Mary and Martha. Okay, I'm not a great cook at all. Um, but what was I saying? Um, uh, no. Mary, Martha, serving together. I think sitting at Jesus' feet is a symbolism of focus. What was, what was Mary actually doing? She was washing Jesus' feet to welcome him into the house. And then um, she listened to him and, you know, maybe uh, imagine, I'm just imagining how she washed his feet. And then was like, oh, wow. And then just plugged in and remembered and remembered. She was also serving, but she sat and gave him her attention. Martha, on the other hand, if you look at the contents of what she complained about, she didn't go to Jesus and, said, uh, and say, um, oh, can it be my turn now to sit down here? You know, I really want to listen to your word. Why, does, uh, why do I have to do all the things? She said, she was, you know, I just imagine her cooking and like baking and one movement for cooking and baking is the same thing. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think she just imagined, can you tell I can't cook and bake? And then she was like, um, and she said, you know, I just imagine her ruminating and being like, oh, you know, I can't believe this Mary. Oh my goodness, why is she not helping me? And in that moment, Jesus, she is in Jesus' presence, but her mind and her focus is completely somewhere else. Yeah, do you see that? It's a subtle difference. It's not just about sitting at Jesus' feet, which is why I believe in the story um, in John 12, when they are now, when Mary is at Jesus' feet and washing his feet, Martha, I feel her focus has changed. And that's why that time, she doesn't come up and be like, right, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, you should be telling her to come and help me. At that time, her focus is being in his presence. Her focus was then on Jesus rather than all the things around her. In that first story, Martha is good-intentioned. She is well-intentioned by inviting Jesus. It, she was intentional about it. She was the one who went out to invite Jesus. She was intentional about her relationship with Jesus. She was intentional about welcoming her into her home, symbolism of her life. She was intentional about calling him and inviting him in. She just got distracted in the process. And that's normal. All, all of us get distracted. Many of us will not be distracted by baking and cooking. Well, you might be, but you might not be distracted by baking and cooking. In the church, in this setting, many of us, although everybody serves excellently, it is so easy, it is so easy to be distracted by everything else. Distracted by the music, distracted by the sound, distracted by the tech, and it takes a lot to set all these things up. 
But Jesus is not saying, well, don't serve then, don't cook and bake, don't set these things up. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, yeah, set these things up. Serve people, serve people. But your focus should be on me. If something goes slightly wrong, that's okay. The focus is on me. If you can't bake 12 cakes for me, the one, the one thing, one, only one thing is needed. Chill. Don't worry. Just do what you can, but the focus should be on me. Something I'm very passionate about is my job, and something that I'm very passionate about is most of us don't spend 24 hours a day in the church. We don't spend seven, of day, seven days a week in the church. Most of us spend two days, two hours, <laughs> two days, two hours in the church, maybe another two hours doing homes. Most of us have, we work, we have our own lives, we study, we have our own callings and things to life. And I think the simplicity of this message, just being a dinner at home, not, you know, like a service they were running, uh, being like, oh, why are you distracted by the sound, you know? It, the simplicity of it being at home, I think, reminds us that even in our daily lives, in the small mundane things like cooking and cleaning and welcoming people, but also in your work and in the things that you lay your hands to, to make sure that your focus is on the Lord. Um, and, you know, there is... There is this writer called John Ortberg, and he wrote this, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Um, being in God's presence should always, always be our first priority. And I don't mean that in a, right, the, you, I'm a believer, you are here. Yeah, that's amazing. But the focus, you know, the, no one else can tell the posture of your heart. I can't predict the posture of your heart. It doesn't really matter if you stand in the crowd and lift up your hands. The posture of your heart is yeah. what is important. Yeah. And nobody else can tell you yeah. what that is. Yeah. You're the only person who knows. But, um, you know, you don't want to settle for a mediocre version of your life because you call yourself a believer but are distracted by so many things. With that being said, it is normal to be distracted. All of us are distracted. But at, like Martha, we learn and humble ourselves to re be reminded to sit at Jesus' feet like Mary did, symbolizing the posture of focusing on the Lord instead of all those distractions. Amen? Charles Spurgeon, who's another author, I'll read you this. It's a bit longer, but bear with me. <laughs> the world is even thus entangling. All the efforts of grace are needed to preserve men from being ensnared with the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life. The ledger demands you. The day book wants you. The shop requires you. The warehouse bell rings for you. The theatre invites. The ballroom calls. You must live, you say, and you must have a little enjoyment and consequently you give your heart to the world if you're not careful. These things, I say, are very entangling, but we must be disentangled from them, for we cannot afford to lose our souls. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Amen? Um, and even saying that, being distracted, you know, what was Martha distracted about? Her worries, anxieties about dinner being fancy. But I know it is very real for many of us to be distracted by worries, anxiety that go past dinner. Um, some of us will worry and be anxious about having food on the table because we don't have enough money. Some of us will have worries and anxieties that are emotionally deep and it's not something that I want to take lightly. But I also don't want, I don't, I don't want to just compare it as 
not, have, not, not making a good dinner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Your worries and anxieties are real and they are true. And that I cannot imagine them, but I've had those same worries and anxieties. There have been times that I worship and all I can think about is how heartbroken I am or how hurt I am or how angry I am. Yeah. And those things are very real. Yeah. And it's not to dismiss that. Yeah. But Jesus still calls you to focus on his presence instead. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.axchurch.uk. God bless.